0: welcome to the new hope church podcast we're currently in a series titled mark stories of jesus christ in this series our senior pastor dr benji kelly leads us through the gospel of mark we started in chapter one and the series will culminate on easter sunday morning celebrating the birth life death and resurrection of jesus we hope you enjoy this incredible message today thank you for being a part of our church family
1: You ready for the Word? So, grab your your teaching notes. Grab the pen. Open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. And listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. You are about to hear today, and I hope I'm about to unpack for you today, one of the most profound, gospel-centered, intriguing, incredibly intriguing Perplexing, if you will, hope filled passages of Scripture in all of the New Testament. I love this passage and I think you will too. Check it out. So, I want to start with a very, very important question today. At all of our campuses, I want to ask you this question. I'm going to pause and I want you to think about it. How do you approach God? do you connect with the divine? That is a very very important question and I ask it because I've come to believe that there are basically two approaches. Two approaches. One is the approach that is a theological issue whereby you and I and others at times often fall into this camp of believing even if we don't talk about it that God is this bloodthirsty tyrant who is out to get you and who you never really fully approach. You never really establish an intimate relationship with him. I mean, don't get me wrong. You come to church. You might pray every now and then, but, but God is still... At a distance you you if you were honest with yourself, you would admit you still will do the highest men with God. you just you kind of keep him at an arm's length distance because somewhere along the way, you were taught that God is like a school principal with a long ruler, and he 's ready to zap you, and he 's full of divine retribution and and, and you've been taught many, 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 many messages from the Old Testament about God's holiness and divine retribution, and that is Scripture. But maybe you haven't been given enough of the new covenant to realize that God is an approachable God. The, the second approach is the other extreme, and, and some of you would fall into this camp, you Theologically, you actually kind of fall into the camp where, where God is like your chub. God is like your personal friend, right? And you kind of, you kind of, He gives you warm fuzzies. You carry him around in your pocket or in your glove box. You take him out when you need him. Two, two extremes. How, how do you approach God? Because in Mark chapter 7, we see one of the most fascinating passages in all of Scripture. That I believe when you just look at it closely and study it intently, it actually teaches us about one central theme. And that is, listen church, how to approach God. Amen. Welcome to Mark part 4. Glad you are here. Welcome to all of our campuses. If you got your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter 7. You might already be there, or your iPads, or your phones, whatever the case may be. And let's go get this. Amen? Mark chapter 7, verse 24. Look at what the Bible says. Here we go. Mark 7, 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyree. He entered a house Listen, this is very fascinating. You've got you to understand that Jesus, Jesus is just like you in some ways, and yet he's not like us in other ways. But here's one way in which he is a lot like us. Jesus did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In other words, look, he entered a house, and he did not want anyone to know it. Jesus wanted some time alone. Anybody here? Ever just long for some time alone? Cow gone. Take me away. Come on, parents, parents. Oh, parents of young kids, young biscuit snatchers, huh? It's like you ever just want some time alone? My wife and I, I know exactly what that's like. And sometimes it's very hard to get. It was very hard for Jesus to get. About, I don't know, three years or so ago, I hosted a a, a conference in Jacksonville, Florida called The Gathering. Conference of thousands and thousands of pastors from all over the country. And um, we brought in this comedian by the name of Jeff Allen. In fact, we're hosting a conference here in July called Insight. It's a leadership conference. Make note of that. July 12th and 13th. Some of you are leaders in the workplace. Love for you to be a part of that conference. But we hosted it in Jacksonville, North Carolina. And I introduced the comedian. And he shared while he was up there... He shared how he had kids, had three kids, in fact. And at night, his wife and and he would sometimes want to just get away so bad that they would bake brownies. And then they would take the brownies away from the kids. They would sneak them out of the kitchen. And they would go into their bedroom. And he said they would get up under the covers. Picture a teepee, like a tent. And they would eat brownies. He said it was so fun, and he had the whole crowd just dying laughing, right? Then after he spoke that night, he and I were backstage talking. I was like, man, I love that brownie story. I think my wife and I are going to try that. I said, tell me about your family. He goes, oh, I got three, man. He goes, I got a 25-year-old son. I got an 18-year-old daughter, and I got a 5-year-old son. 25, 18, and 5. I was like, Jeff, I don't mean to... Probe here, but, but like, what happened? How did you go from a 25-year-old to an 18-year-old and then all those years and you had a 5-year-old? He goes, we ran out of brownies. <laughs> See, sometimes we just want to be alone. And Jesus, he wanted to be alone, but he could not keep his presence unknown. Look at what the next verse says. Look at verse 25 look at this look ready in fact as soon as she heard about him that's the woman that verse 24 was talking about as soon as she heard about him a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit demon possessed you read about this in the new testament was possessed by a demon spirit or an unpure spirit impure spirit came and fell at his feet the woman was a greek born in syrian Phoenicia. The story in Mark chapter 7 begins with this mysterious statement about Jesus trying to get away, trying to get some peace and quiet all alone. It talks about a woman then who finds out, falls at his feet, and she has this daughter who is home sick. Now, let me just show you some Geography of first century Palestine. Some of you have been there with me. Some of you have been before. um, And some of you might be going back with me in 2014. If you're interested, just mark your connect card. But this is first century Palestine. Now, you see the body of water right in the middle, kind of the Sea of Galilee. I told you it's not really a sea. We think of that. We think of a big body of water like an ocean. No, no. It's like the Lake of Galilee. It's only about eight or nine miles apart, across. Now, that's where Jesus lived out his ministry. Bethesda, Gennesaret, Capernaum, all that area. Nazareth. He, this is where he did his ministry. Now, on this particular day, when Jesus has just had all he can take with the crowds, he heads out, go, go like toward 10 o'clock. If you're at the Sea of Galilee, go toward 10 o'clock. Do you see Tyre? See, Tyree, everybody say, got it, Pastor. Tyree. So so what happens is Jesus needs some peace and quiet. He says, I'm going to the beach. (laughs) It'd be like you and I. I mean, we're, we're close to the coast. And you're like, I am getting out of here. I'm going to the beach for the day. Jesus goes to the coast. And how is this incredible encounter with this woman that I just really want you to understand before you leave here today? This is one of the most fascinating women in all of Scripture. She hears of his, his arrival and she makes her way to Jesus. Though she's a Syrophoenician woman, because she's from Tyre, which is, which is in proximity to Judea, she would have known the Jewish customs. She knew, listen, she had no business approaching any rabbi, let alone Jesus of Nazareth. Listen closely. She knows that she has none of the religious, moral, and cultural credentials necessary to approach a Jewish rabbi. Listen, she is a Phoenician, which means she's a Gentile. She's a pagan, She's a woman, women, I'm sorry. It's not right, but in that day and age, women, women didn't have any rights. Okay, it's unfortunate. So she's, she's a Gentile, which means she was a pagan. She had an unclean daughter, which means she was assumed unclean in that day and age. She was a woman. She was a Phoenician. I don't know if you called it or not. That's five plus reasons she had no business whatsoever Approaching Jesus of Nazareth. But this is why I love this woman. This is why when I get to heaven, I want to spend some time with this woman. Because even though her credentials and cultural norms said she should not approach Jesus. She didn't give a and flip about her credentials or her cultural norms. She was not going to be denied Being in the presence of Jesus and moreover, she was not going to be denied her daughter getting healed. Now, the parents in the house can relate with that. See, guys, here's the deal. Come on. If you take the spectrum of humanity, there there are cowards. And then there are heroes. Parents are not even on that spectrum. Cowards... Heroes, going this way, heroes. Parents are way, way down here, way beyond heroes. Because when you are a parent, come on, parents. When you are a parent and your child is in need, you will do whatever it takes to take care of your baby. Parents, I never knew I could love. I mean, I met my wife. I fell in love. I was ready to marry that woman. I love her. I love her to this day. But when I had children... I never knew I could love like that. I ne- And then and then once I had one child, I thought when, when child two was coming, and then, and then it was child two and three because it was twins, but I thought it was just child two. When, when child two, I was like, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to love. All my love went to my first one. And then you have the second one, right, parents? And again, for me, it was number two and number three. And you just love even more. And then when number four came around, I was like, there's no way. There's no, there's no more love in this heart. <laughs> And then you have, and you just, there's something about a parent's love. May, may, maybe a video will help. May, maybe a video will help. I, I'm a big, big, big Denzel Washington fan. Like, oh, oh, I see I got some people who have some sense in here. Like, I, I, Denzel Washington to me, I, I, he is the best actor ever to walk on the planet. I don't ever miss a movie that Denzel Washington comes out. I've seen him all. He's the best. Now, you can disagree with me, but you will be wrong. Um, i got to go back and watch this movie. Watch, watch the love of a parent in John Q. Check it out.
2: We're in trouble, John. Mike's blood pressure has dropped into the mid-40s. His atrial blood pressure should be in the low teens. It's 35. I'm sorry, John. Without a new heart, He's not going to make it.
3: Okay. Take mine. What? You heard me. Take my heart, and you put it in Mike. You can't be serious. You bet I'm serious. I'm dead serious. Oh, my God. Wow. Man, that means you'll be dead. And my son will live. John, you can't do this. It's the only way. No, you don't understand. Physically, you can't do this. Yes, I can. I kill myself. You open me up, you take my heart. It's perfect. Man, it's just crazy. No, no, we can't just remove your heart and put it into Michael's body.
2: John, there are too many unknowns. Matching a donor and a recipient is extremely complicated. There are several critical tests that have to be taken. Like what? Cross matches for blood type, chest cavity measurements. If both
3: blood tissues are not completely compatible... Come on, I know all about compatibility, okay? We've been tested up the wazoo. We're both B positive, our tissues match, his heart's three times the size of a normal heart, so mine will fit. It's out of the question. Too risky. Doc, I'm telling you, he will make it. Can't do it, John. No. So what? So if I'm laying on the floor dead, you're not going to take my heart and put it in him to save his life? You'll let two people die instead of one because of a technicality? You know what? I think what
2: John is trying to do is right. Me too. I think it's so brave.
3: It's brave, but what do you think Mike would want? What about your wife? Mike's too young to know what's good for him. I'm his father. It's my job to protect him. Besides, Denise would do the same thing. John, look. I know what's happening to Mike is bad, man. Matter of fact, it's the worst. But killing yourself ain't gonna solve a thing. Sometimes you just gotta let go and let God. Just accept it, brother. Accept it? Accept what? Accept what?
2: That Micah's going to die.
3: No. No, I don't accept that. Ever. No, I reject that out of hand. I mean, look. He, all right, he's a patient to you, I understand, but if you, he's a good kid. I mean, he's, he, he, he loves bodybuilding. He's, he wants to be a bodybuilder, can you believe that? And he, he's funny, he's, you'd like him. You'd like him, Doc, if you got to know him. I do like him. All right, him. then, then please, I'm just begging you. Step outside the room. I'd porch, like to, John. I really would.
2: But what you're asking crosses the line. It is completely Unethical. So
3: what? I'm, I'm not. I'm crossing the line. You're crossing the line. The whole system crossing the line. Who cares? Maybe you don't understand what I'm talking about. My son's gonna live. Maybe you guys haven't figured that out by now. I'll do whatever I gotta do for him to live.
2: So what are you gonna do? You're gonna shoot me if I don't operate? No.
3: I'm gonna kill myself. All right. Let's just see what happens. I mean, that's what this is all about, right? He needs a donor. Somebody's gotta die in order for him to live. I'm his father, it's me.
2: All right. All right? All right what? I'll do it if that's what you want. You serious? You're gonna let him kill himself? Once he's dead, why not?
3: You are the finest surgeon I have ever known. You cannot just throw your entire
1: career, your life away from Not for stage. nothing, doctor, but if you do this, you're finished. You know that, right?
2: What are they going to do, sue me? Disbar me? Evict me from the country club? No, this is still a hospital. If there's a heart available, I'm not going to let it go to waste. Doctor, Mr. McGuire, let's get ready for surgery.
1: get you some of that. When I studied the syrophoenician woman in Mark chapter 7 this week I remembered that old scene that I saw in this movie because what you see with Denzel and his boy is a commensurate modern day parable if you will of the syrophoenician woman in Mark chapter 7 she would not be denied in fact, if you, if you got your Bibles open, I hope you take notes in the scriptures or on your iPad or whatever. In the Bible there, in Mark 7, where it says she was begging Jesus, it's very interesting. Jesus uses, or the scriptures, Mark uses a present progressive tense of the word there. So a better translation, again, you can write this in your margins, is that she kept on begging Jesus. She begged Jesus and then she keeps on begging Jesus. She would not take no for an answer. Unbelievable tenacity. Resolve. Passion. It's why I asked you in the beginning. Come on, come on. How do you approach God? Timid? Hesitant? How, how do you approach the king of kings and the lord of lords i'm telling you when i get to heaven i want to spend time with this unbelievable woman that we find in mark 7 let's just keep pouring through the passage look at verse 26 the latter part of that verse verse 26 she begged or as i said she kept on begging she keeps on begging she begged jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter now now this is where this is where to me the passage just grows incredibly fascinating and intriguing and, and, and just gospel-centered, if you'll crack this passage open just right today. I'm telling you, you'll never look at the scriptures the same again or the gospel. Look at what Jesus says to her. So she keeps on begging. Jesus, first let the children eat all they want, he told her. Jesus told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the... To the, One more time, all of our campuses, to the? Oh, my word. Now, come on, we like to be honest with things around here, right? We like to keep it real. Let's just keep it real for a moment, even with the scriptures. That feels incredibly insulting. I mean, Jesus says to this precious woman, again, who will not be denied. He says, come on, listen, we got bread here, and it's the children's bread. Why should we toss it? to the dogs. Now, now we we in our culture in the western world over here, we are a culture obsessed with dogs. Cats, different story. <laughs> cats, whatever. Um, well, have I ever told you why I have such a problem with cats? No. Huh? See guys, listen, in the ancient world, Persia, in the ancient world, cats cats were actually worshiped. And the problem with cats is that they've never forgotten it. <laughs> have you noticed this about kitty cats? But in our culture, man, dogs, we are a canine-obsessed culture. Some of you have dogs. I mean, you paint their fingernails. You speak to them like you're a little goo guy, guy, guy baby. And, and, and guess what? I'm not throwing stones at you. Guess what? I've got a little lap dog Maltese, a little old white sissy dog. I own that. I am from Sumter, South Carolina. If my boys from back home knew that I had a little sissy white lap dog, they would disown me. I mean, I grew up around dogs that would eat my dog as an hors d'oeuvre. But, but like, we, got, our culture is so obsessed with dogs. I even heard recently that people are taking out life insurance policies on their dog. It's crazy. So so we are obsessed with dogs, and so it's kind of hard for us to uh, understand this passage entirely. Well, you need to know, though, in first century Palestine, dogs were unclean. They were wild. They were wild dogs. Uh, Guys, they didn't have veterinarians where they took them to get groomed, right? They're wild dogs. They they hang out around trash piles. They were mean. And so that kind of ups the ante, if you will. It's like, Jesus, what are you doing He told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, again, I'm not one of these pastors who likes to throw around a lot about the original language and bore you or act like, you know, I need to impress you. But I do want to give you just one more uh, teaching on the original language. And this is worth writing in your margin. Where it said dogs, if you'll just draw an arrow out to the margin... Jesus uses the diminutive form of the word there. And a better translation is not dogs, but puppies. A better translation is Jesus would say, For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the puppies. In fact, some translations in trying to keep straight with the interpretation of the scriptures actually put that there. Now this is fascinating when you remember that this woman was a mother. She had her own puppy, if you will. It was a daughter who was home. Very, very sick. Jesus is saying, listen, there's an order here. There's an order here, and the puppies do not eat from the table. They eat on the floor, and it's not even right to give the bread for the children to the puppies. There's an order, and this is where it's actually fascinating to actually go over there and read Matthew's parallel version of what is unfolding in Mark 7. You don't have to turn there, but let me tell you, in Matthew's gospel... As Matthew tells this very same story, Matthew points out that Jesus said that he had come for the lost sheep of Israel or for the, the, law, the house of Israel. Matthew 15, 24. You can go look at it later. But I believe this is one of the most important things about this passage. It reminds us, listen, that Gentiles, maybe I need to slow down and make sure we all understand what a Gentile is, unless you're a Jew in here... You're a Gentile. Okay? So look at your neighbor and with some attitude, say, you old Gentile. Now do it a little more sass than that. Do it a little more sass than that. Say, look at him and say, you just an old Gentile. <laughs> Amen. So Jesus is saying, I came for the, for the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus is saying, listen, there's an order. I came for the house of Israel. You, my dear woman, you are a Gentile. You are a pagan. So Jesus is basically letting us know, listen, there's an order. There's an order to the way things unfold. Listen, as a side note, never make a mistake about this. God is a God of order. God's not a God of chaos. So if you've got chaos in your life, you need to know that God wants to put order there. So God is a God of order, But the scriptures are teaching us there's an order here. And Jesus is saying, listen, I've come for Israel. How dare you come and want to be at this table? So you got to keep in mind that in, in the gospels, it wasn't until after Jesus rose from the dead that he actually said to his followers, go into the world and make disciples. Go reach the nations. The gnoitai. You and I. Gentiles see what this passage this is why I said it is so gospel centered what this passage reminds us of today listen church is Christianity it's not about us this is a humbling passage we in the western world we think everything's about us come on it's all about you I know And we think it's all about me. And what this passage reminds us, listen, is that Christianity was a a Messiah coming for the house of Israel. And it was only by the grace of God that Jesus then kind of, if you will, opened up the back door, beloved. And allowed the Gentile world, the nations, to slip into a covenant that already existed before we got there. Now that's a good place for an amen. That's grace. That reminds us, listen, it is only by grace that we come into this relationship. And look look at what happens. This passage just keeps, keeps unfolding beautifully. Look at the next few verses, starting in verse 28. Yes, Lord, she replied. This is why I love this woman, man. She's amazing. Yes, Lord, she replied. Read it out loud with me. Ready, go. But even the... Under the table, eat the children's crumbs. I love this woman. Jesus has laid out a challenge for her. He's laid out an offer for her. And she rises to the occasion. Notice that she didn't go again. This is what we love to do in the West. Come on, you know we do. We are all about our rights. We got our rights. And we got entitlement. Rights and entitlement—that's all you ever hear about these days. What I love about this great Syrophoenician woman is she doesn't start banking on her rights. She doesn't even get offended when Jesus uses uses this language. She basically, with rightless assertiveness, basically acknowledges you're right. I don't belong at this table. You're right. I'm a Gentile. I don't worship the same God the Jews worship. But even the dogs, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now let's go. Let's just keep going. Look at what happens. Then he told her, Jesus loved her response. For such a reply, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. Let the church say amen. amen. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Amen. Jesus told us this fascinating passage where the woman in our Western mindset thinks we think she has every right to get upset. How dare you call me a dog! How dare you, Jesus? I'm entitled to some crumbs. Uh, uh-uh. In humility, she says, you're right. But if you'll just give me some of those crumbs that fall from your table, I believe my daughter will be healed. It is an absolutely fascinating Passage, if you're taking notes, write this down. Should be on the screens. She's not saying, Lord, give me what I deserve on the basis of my goodness. She's saying, Lord, give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness. And I need it now. I love this woman. I want to spend some time with this woman in heaven. Absolutely incredible, fascinating, appropriate answer in which Jesus says, you can go. With that kind of reply, you can go, I've got your daughter. Listen, listen. This is going to be on the screens too. Oh, You are more unclean. Yes, you are. I am more unclean, undeserving, and unworthy than you ever believed or imagined. But at the same time, listen, beloved, you are more loved, accepted, and cleansed than you ever dared to hope. Let me say it one more time. You are more unclean, undeserving, and unworthy than you ever believed or imagined. But at the same time, the gospel message teaches us, at the same time, you are more loved, accepted, and cleansed than you ever dared to hope. Let the church say amen. I want to read a quote for you. I usually don't read long quotes like this. But man, when I was studying this week, I was like, they they got to hear this. This is from John Edwards, great biblical scholar on this particular passage. Lean in and listen. He says this on Mark 7. She, that is the Syrophoenician woman, she appears to understand the purpose of Israel's Messiah better than Israel does. Her pluck and persistence are a testimony to her trust in the sufficiency and surplus of Jesus. His provision for the disciples and Israel will be abundant enough to provide for one such as herself. What an irony... Jesus seeks desperately to teach his chosen disciples, you know, the 12. Jesus, he tries to desperately teach his chosen disciples, yet they are dull and uncomprehending. Jesus is reluctant to even speak to a walk-on pagan woman. Listen. And after one sentence, she understands his mission... And receives his unambiguous commendation. How is this possible? The biblical scholar Edwards asked. How is this possible? Last couple sentences, listening closely. The answer is that the woman is the first person in Mark's gospel to hear and understand a parable of Jesus. That she answers Jesus from, quote unquote, within the parable that is, in the terms by which Jesus addressed her, indicates that she is the first person in the gospel of Mark to hear the words of Jesus to her. I'm telling you, when I get to heaven, after I gather around Jesus and after whatever that's like, I want to spend some time with this great saint. Church, there are two ways. There are two ways to fail at letting Jesus be your Savior. Please listen closely. Two ways. One is, you're just too proud. You're just too proud. Some of you here might be in that camp. You know what I'm talking about. It's having a superiority complex. This has kept a lot of people out of heaven. Men, come on, men, you and me. Men, we struggle with this. We, 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 we're too prideful. We have a superiority complex. We've been taught from early ages, we're tough men. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. You know what I mean? I'm a self-made man. No, you ain't. In good old vernacular. But being too proud. A superiority complex can keep us, men and women, out of heaven. Here's the second way. That we fail to let Jesus be our Savior is that we believe we are too inferior. That's the other extreme. You know what I'm talking about. It's an inferiority complex. Being so self absorbed that you say, I'm just so awful that God would never love me. Two extremes. Which is why I started my message today with asking you this question How do you approach God? How do you connect with the divine? She knew what she wanted. And she was not going to receive no as an answer. She was determined to get it. Listen, yet she never disrespected Jesus. She never disrespected God. She never fell into a pitiful, pitiful sense of entitlement. She simply would not take no For an answer. Some of you are here today. And again. you, you, You never get intimate with God. You never allow yourself to really. Lock into this intimate relationship. With Jesus Christ. Because you think he's mad at you. You think you're not good enough. You think he came to smite you. With divine retribution. And what this passage teaches us. What Mark 7. Reminds us. Is that Jesus was not taking out his sword, beloved. He was taking up his cross. Jesus was not ruling with unbridled power. No, in fact, he was not even taking over the world. He was serving the world with love and compassion and grace. And inviting you and me, listen, to approach him boldly. Another New Testament author would say this in Hebrews. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. Look at what it says. That we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. So on the night before he was betrayed. He gathered his disciples in the upper room. And he said to them, and he would say to us, the rest of the world, this is my body, which is broken for you. He didn't say, here are some crumbs. And come on, come on. That would have been enough. That's what the Seraphim woman is teaching us. All I need some crumbs. But Jesus didn't say, here are some crumbs. He said, take eat this is my body and then when the supper was over he took the cup he said this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins said this is my blood it represents the new covenant take my body drink this wine as a symbolic representation of my blood taste and see That the Lord is good. I am an approachable God. I invite anyone and everyone who would come and feast to come and feast. And here's the most amazing thing about this passage: when you understand it like this, Jesus wasn't necessarily saying she was a dog. If you look at the whole narrative of Mark's gospel, Jesus is saying, Listen, I'm going to become like the dog. I'm going to be the one beaten. I'm going to be the one betrayed. I'm going to be like a, just a betrayed, left out dog. I'm going to a place called Calvary. I'm going to a hill called the Skull where I am going to allow your sins as the weight of your sin to be pressed upon me. I'm going to be the beaten one. I'm going to be the bruised one. Listen. I'm going to be the one who is smited with the divine retribution from a holy, almighty God. I'm going to be the one who's going to be left out in the cold. I'm going to be the one who's going to be splattered on a cross. I'm going to be the one Who's going to take the full weight of your sin? And I'm going to wear it on the cross. And I'm going to take the hit for you. That's grace, that's good news. John Steinbeck, those of you who are readers, that name immediately grabs you. John Steinbeck was the one who wrote that great book, The Grapes of Wrath. Maybe you remember it. John Steinbeck wrote that book, and it actually came from the old Civil War battle hymn. You might recall the battle hymn of the Republic. Maybe you remember that line in the midst of the battle hymn of Republic. Where the old hymn sings this. He, he is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. Remember that? He's trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. At the cross, beloved at the cross that is precisely what he did like an old betrayed and beaten doll the sinless savior of the world holy matchless king of kings lord of lords divine trampled out the grapes of wrath for you and for me and he said if you will come come boldly come boldly and what you need ask persistently What do you need today? What is it that you need God to do in your life? You know what success is? Success is often experienced by those who simply hang on long enough while others quit and go home. Let me repeat that. Success is often experienced by those who simply hang on long enough while others quit and go home. She would not be denied. What do you need? What is it that you've been praying so long for that you eventually just stopped? You come today, you come boldly today and you learn from this great Syrophoenician saint what it looks like to live with resolve, tenacity, to never, ever, ever take no for an answer. You come and receive the body and the blood of Christ. For you are all invited. If you are too prideful. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. And come before almighty God. If you think you're not worthy. Lift your head beloved. He is calling you. Lift your head. In all of your unworthiness, lift your head and know that he loves you anyway with all of your faults. He loves you. That is why we call it. Listen. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. The body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you as the new covenant for the forgiveness of your sins. Almighty God, we give you thanks for the gospel. God, we cannot believe how you would love us, how you would pour yourself out for us. Father, we come to this table. We get up from our seats at all of our campuses, Father. And we come like the Syrophoenician woman. We come with respect, we come with honor, we come with humility. But we come with tenacity. We come never, no, never. Receiving no as an answer. For we believe by faith that we are your son, that we are your daughter. And that you will meet our needs according to your riches in Christ. So Father, receive us all over the movement today. We come to feast upon you, Lord Jesus, by the receiving of a piece of bread and a cup of wine that you would forgive us of our sins, that you would cleanse us, God. Thank you for going to the cross for us. Thank you for being the one who was treated like a dog. Thank you for taking the hit for us. Thank you for allowing us to slip in through the back door of a covenant that you already had established with ancient Israel. So in all of our humility, God, we just come as beggars. Beggars as we are. So grateful that you would receive us. That you would restore us. That you would reinstate us. That you would bless us. And as we share in this Holy Communion Feast. We look forward to that great day, almighty God, when we will feast with you and all the saints around the table of eternity. Thank you, God, for not just giving us crumbs. Thank you for giving us the full gospel. And for that, we are so grateful. We love you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name, and all of God's children said,
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at www.NewHopeNC.org. And if you have any prayer requests, please send those to prayers at NewHopeNC.org. And our pastors and staff will stand with you in prayer. God bless and have a great week.